better um, to have a group here. It really helped the singing, so I appreciate it. It's good to see some new faces helping out. That was wonderful. Thank you for that. Well, it's a privilege to worship with you today, and it's a privilege because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but also because we serve a risen Savior. And we're celebrating Easter here in the next month or so, and I'm so excited for that, looking forward to that. So today's sermon, um, well, let me, let me just introduce it this way. Here, our children, um, Andrew mentioned uh, Faith Christian Academy. Their children attend there, a great school. Our children attend Legacy. It's obviously a lot closer to us, but their spring program is coming up here, um, actually this weekend. This weekend, their spring program's coming up. So we've been listening to a lot of singing around our house as they get ready um, for this spring program. And for sure, when you're, when you're younger, that's a pretty big deal. Um, it's a pretty big deal to get up in front of people and sing. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so our youngest daughter is the inspiration for this message today. She doesn't even know it, I don't think. Um, but Sophie helps me um, out in the barn quite a bit, and I, I enjoy having her out there, and she is always singing. And so a song that she's been singing over and over and over and over again um, the last weeks already in preparation for this spring program is a song called He's the Alpha and the Omega. Um, I'm not going to try to sing it, but it's a beautiful song, and it, it's a powerful song, and it got my mind turning, and so I began reading through the book of Revelations, and I've been kind of stuck there. I've been sitting there for a while now, but I began to see the book of Revelation in a new way, maybe through a new lens or a different perspective. A casual glance through, the, through Revelation will leave you perhaps a little bit perplexed, you're going to read about horses and dragons. You're going to read, read about beasts. Um, the dragons have seven heads. They have ten horns. You read about winged creatures that have six wings. They're covered with eyes. You read about scorpions that are, this, or not scorpions, locusts the size of horses. Um, they have stingers on their tails. They have hair like a, woman, a woman's, um, their manes are like a, a woman's hair. It's just these crazy images. It sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie or something. Um, and it just, it seems so far out there. It seems so mysterious. And I, I told my wife this morning, I'm, I'm wearing a tie. And I don't often wear a tie because I hate tying ties. I told her this morning, it's kind of like, for me, tying a tie is kind of like the Battle of Armageddon, I think. It's just like, oh, it makes me want to... I don't know, it makes me want to tear or throw every tie away. It gets so frustrating. Um, but there's so many things about in the book of Revelation that are, they seem to be really mysterious. But something, someone that I've listened to um, quite a bit over the last number of years, I've read some of his stuff, is Dr. Sam Storms. Um, he actually writes a lot um, and talks a lot about uh, Revelation. And he talks about how we look at the book, how we read through Revelation, and it's really helped me just gain a better perspective. Um, he talks about it from, so you have, a, say at a football game, you have cameras set up. You've got some set up at the 50-yard line, some in one end zone and the other end zone, and depending which way the team going, you're watching the game from behind, 
If you're in the end zone where the, they're coming towards you, you're looking at it from a different angle. There's um, the blimp flying overhead that gives you the big overarching view. Revelation is kind of like that um, when it's talking about the end times. But Revelation is futuristic. But it's also a picture of, I think, of the current events and past events as they have been unfolding in the spiritual realms. So don't just make it about something in, in the future. It is that, but it is meant to shape our present. That's what I want you to, to think about. Revelation isn't just something that's going to happen at some point in time. It, things will happen, but it's meant to shape how you and I live today. Right? So, so keep that in mind as we go through this. Marcus, I'm going to have Marcus come up. He's going to read our text. You can follow along. It's, it's reading it out of the New Living Translation. It should all be up here on the overhead. It is a very long text that we're reading this morning. Um, but I think it's very powerful just to listen. So you can follow along as Marcus reads. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who was, I'm sorry, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes down with the clouds. He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying 
or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, and the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held seven bowls containing the seven last plagues said, Come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, and the name of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There are three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The walls were made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onks, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearl, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of the sun or moon, for the glory of God eliminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets 
has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic word in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all the people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who, live, who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. Thank you. That's a long text. I'd actually would have really loved to just come up here and just read the whole book of Revelation. There's power. It's so powerful. But who is the Alpha and the Omega? Who is he? What difference does that make in your life? What is the Alpha and the Omega? My prayer for us this morning is that our, it, that this this message today would deepen our worship and make us bold witnesses of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God. One thing that you will see as you read through Revelation is the Lamb of God is exalted and victorious over and over and over. That is the, one of the big themes that goes throughout the book. But what is the Alpha and Omega? Can you even begin to wrap your mind around the Alpha and Omega. I'm sure you're all aware, or you may be aware, the Alpha and the Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. So Jesus is referring to himself as being eternal. Only God can, has that attribute is unique only to God. Eternal as in he always was and he always will be. Our lives when our lives began, we now live etern- into, on into eternity, but we had a beginning. G- God never had a beginning. It's an absolute mind-bending process to think about, and I wonder if even we can, can begin to plumb the depths of its riches. And I know that today we're just barely going to scratch the surface, but I hope that maybe it makes you curious enough that you'll go start reading through Revelation more and maybe read it with a different perspective. Three different times in the book of Revelation, and you heard all three of those times where Jesus is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. But just so you're aware how Scripture ties together, if you go back to Isaiah, there's at least two different occasions where that exact, the same idea is given um, in the Old Testament, looking forward to Christ, 
And now Revelation is, is looking back or talking about Jesus, the one who lived his life here on earth, who's the Alpha and the Omega. Um, in Isaiah, it says, I'm the first and the last. In Isaiah 44, Isaiah 48, it says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. So as you think about something that is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of something, and I believe that is true of Jesus, it is true of Jesus, then is it not true that everything in between the beginning and the end is also part of Jesus? In other words, um, I, I, let, me, let me say it this, this way. If it's true that Jesus is the beginning and the end of all things, and we're going to look at three different ways that Jesus is our Alpha and Omega, and again, that just scratches the surface, but if He is the beginning and end of all things, then it is not also true that He is the very essence of all things. Think about that. When something is the essence of something, essence is that which makes something what it is. So as we think about Jesus and these three different ways that He's our Alpha and Omega, He is the very essence of it. Without Jesus, that means it is not even in existence. The early church writer Tertullian writes it this way, just as Alpha rolls into Omega and Omega returns again to Alpha, so He might show that both the evolution of the beginning to the end is in Him and again, the return to the end, to the beginning. So in other words, just this, this big revolution, this big circle, this big cycle, is Jesus the Alpha and Omega. We often talk about, we, in trying to wrap my mind around the beginning of the beginning, we talk about a foundation. We, when we build a building, we put in a foundation. But even that foundation is resting on something else. Jesus is like, he's like the foundation of the foundation. Everything rests on him. Nothing, there was nothing that takes place or is in existence, is in existence without him. So how is Jesus the Alpha and Omega in your life? We've got three of these, and the second one is we're going to spend most of our time on. But the first one may seem fairly obvious, but let me just, let me just run through these. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of the revelation of Himself, how He has revealed Himself to us. And there's two different ways that God is revealed to us. And number one, the first of those is in His creation. God has revealed Himself to us in creation. And Jesus shows up in the very first book of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible. Who was it that created first? He is the Alpha because He first made something out of nothing. He is the one who molded the clay from which you and I are made. In 1 John 1, 3, it says, All things were made by Him and through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And just as Jesus created all things, including you and I, He holds everything, He holds together the very fabric of creation. So there He is, the essence of creation, without Jesus, without Christ, creation itself has no existence. Were Jesus to withdraw his power, the universe itself would collapse. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, calls Jesus Christ the great iron pillar of the universe. Colossians 1.17 says this, 
and he is before all things, things, and in him all things hold together. Moses recognized this also when he wrote in Psalm 90, verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth from the world, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, from beginning to end, you are God. So God, Jesus, is revealed in Scripture, but also Jesus is revealed right here. You think about... God could have chosen so many different ways to reveal Himself, and yet He has given us a revelation of Himself through His Word, and from beginning, the very beginning of the, of the book of, the, of the, the Bible to the very last verse, which we're actually going to look at, Jesus Christ is central to it all. Everything hinges on Jesus Christ, and without, without Christ, without the Alpha and Omega, we, have, we don't have this. We don't have a revelation of who God is. Secondly, and probably the most key to these, I think, is Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of salvation. He's the Alpha and the Omega of your salvation and my salvation. He is the beginning and the end of our salvation. There is nothing, there's absolutely nothing that we can add at the beginning of our salvation There's nothing that you can add at the end of your salvation that is going to make one iota of a difference. Jesus is the one who is the instigator. It is He who pursues us. It is He who invites us. We read about the the river of life, the water of life. He's the one who invites us to come and to drink. It is He who first loved us. The very first... Alpha and Omega that we read in Revelation chapter 1 is set up, and I think it backs up, I think it points to the Alpha and the Omega as the one who saves us. If you go back um, in verse, I think it's in verse 3 and verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5, it starts, and this is how Jesus becomes the Alpha and Omega in our salvation. It is He who loved us. It says that in verse 5. So we are loved with an everlasting, redeeming love. Secondly, it is His blood that has brought us our freedom. That's the last part of verse 5. And also the, the future, the grace and redemption. I'm sorry, grace and redemption are only found through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And three, thirdly, the culmination of our salvation, the future glory We read 21 and 22 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. The future glory that is ours in Christ is only come only comes through Jesus because He is our Omega. And each one of those um, Alpha and Omegas, or not 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 both of them. I'm sorry. There's two of them. I think it's in the very first one, and in in Revelation 22, it ties it directly into His second coming. He is coming again. So I think we understand and we grasp that concept that He is, or do we? No, we don't fully, I'm sure. That He is the beginning and the end of our salvation. There's nothing that you can, you don't try to make yourself better and then come. There's nothing that you can add on the end of your salvation. It's all Jesus, Jesus alone. But if Jesus is the beginning and the end of our salvation, He's also the very essence of our salvation. 
That means without Him, there is no such thing. We have, we have no salvation. But if He is the beginning and the end, and this is where my mind went to when, when I was thinking about Jesus as that for our salvation, that means that all that in between brings a tremendous amount of security. It brings a, a security to your position in Jesus. Just as Jesus holds the whole universe together, He holds us secure in our salvation. Now Paul, I know in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about um, we can be, or that he does not want to be disqualified. I'm not talking about this habitual unrepentant sin. I don't want to get, I don't want to get into all of that. But our salvation and our position in Christ, people, is secure. You read through Revelation, here again, read through the whole book. The Lamb's book of life comes up over and over and over again. And I think in one of the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus tells His disciples, don't rejoice about all the powerful things you can do. Rejoice in this, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your salvation is secure. I lived... I lived for the first years of my, my Christianity, I lived scared. I lived not secure. I was always in the back of my mind, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you, are you saved? Are you not? And just scared that I might have done something that my salvation has been lost. Jesus said in John 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. <clears throat> So can I get really practical for a minute? A hot-button topic in our world today. There are two things in that revelation that this was my my experience for years, and and I, I look at it differently now than I did. But two things that are in revelations that used to in, induce fear, and I think they often in bring out bring up fear in lives of the lives of believers unnecessarily. And that is the potential for deception. Um, it talks about that through, through chapters 13 and 14 primarily, but then also what comes up in chapters 13 and 14 is the mark of the beast. There, I said it, right? That's a hot-button topic right now. It, it really is. So it's just being really, really, really practical here. But what I want you to think about is you, as, we, as we take a step back from, from each of those things and you read this again, follow this, this line through Revelation, is everything that Satan does, well, this follows, this is all through, through Scripture. It's everywhere. Everything that Satan does is simply a, trying to copy what God has already done. Satan has never had an original idea, ever. He never will. All he takes is the things that God has done and the God has created, and He takes those and He twists it and tries to copy it so that we or people will fall for it and think it is the real thing. He can never come up with an original idea. And I think this is true of these very same things. In the deception, on the deception part of things, Satan... Chapters 13 and 14, you'll, you'll read, there's three different occasions where, where the beast does powerful things. He even mimics the resurrection. But in each one of those cases, he's concealed. It says, 
he can only do what God has allowed him to do. All right? So he's, he's still not in control, and he's only trying to mimic what God himself has done. So if it's true that he always tries to mimic what God has already done, let me see. Dr. Sam Storm says this about that. All these are things that, that Satan does. They are de- a demonic ripoff, a depraved parody, a counterfeit imitation. This is talking specifically about the mark, of the mark that believers receive on their heads. David, do you want to put up those, the next slide? This is, this is something that I was thinking about a lot. Um, are you aware that if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are safe, you are secure, and that you also have a mark? It is the mark. You are sealed with the mark of the Father on your head, on your forehead. So now, just for the, just for the sake of discussion and to get your minds rolling... Maybe we can talk about this. Um, I'm, just, I'm, not making, I'm not making a statement here with this. Is this a literal mark on your forehead? So think about that. And if Satan only mimics what God has done, then is that mark that he talks about, the mark of the beast that we often talk about, is that a literal mark? Think about it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I know, I know people who are on both sides of it. I'm not sure completely where I'm at with that. And I don't think that that's the most important thing. What I am absolutely 100% sure about, about is that we do not need to fear the mark of the beast. There is no reason. Christian, you are secure Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are not going to get duped into receiving this mark unaware. One writer says it this way about talking about Revelation. He says, sometimes we look at it as a giant game of guess who, the Antichrist version. Trying to figure out who all these different pieces are, where all these different pieces fit together. And it is good. We should study. I'm not saying we don't study. We do study those But remember that everything that Satan is bringing about is simply a counterfeit of what God has already brought about. And what our primary focus should be is on the Lamb and to remember that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is there, then brother and sister, you are secure. You have nothing, nothing to fear. That is what we should rejoice in. And I think if Satan can distract us even in just getting us trying to figure out all the little details of all everything that might come or how it might look, then he's already accomplished some of his purpose by taking us our, our, our eyes off of the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is mentioned over and over and over. The Lamb is mentioned throughout the book of Revelation. That is the, one of the big focal points. And if he causes us to fear, then we lose, I think, with Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation and the security that it brings us, it should spurn something up within us, an action. What is the action that that should spurn up within us? Uh, I have, there's this great quote, and I'll come to that in a little bit. But the, the, what the action that it should bring up within us is to call people 
to come and follow the Lamb of God. Not to live in fear, but to bring others to the table. All right, so lastly, let me just, let me just get, finish this up. The Alpha and the Omega of all of eternity. He's the Alpha and the Omega of eternity. We saw He has in the beginning. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He is eternal. And you and I are created in His image. We have a beginning. But we will live for all of eternity. Jesus is the Omega through whom all the eternal destinies of the world will be sealed. So if you're, is your name the big question for us today? And for all people, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? There's the question. To the sinner, Charles Spurgeon says this, Come to Jesus as you are, and let Him be Alpha to you. Is your heart hard? Let Him soften it. Are you ragged and wretched? Are you lost, ruined, and undone? Do not stop to write Alpha first. Do not stop to begin your own salvation. Sinner, remember, there is no preparation wanted for Christ. Just lean upon Him wholly. Drop into His arms now. Repose upon Him. You will, not, you will never get the true salvation unless the first, letter, the first letter in it be Christ, for He is the Alpha. There He is. His wounds are flowing. His heart is breaking. His soul is in anguish. There is the Alpha of your salvation. Look and live. Look unto me and be ye saved, ye ends of ye, all ye ends of the earth. Child of God, let him be the omega of your salvation. The omega of our salvation, and it comes with the culmination of seeing him with open eyes, with clarity as we when we come into his presence. As believers, we worship, it, it affects directly affects, if our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, how we worship in the present and in all of eternity. Revelations 22.3, and we read this, says, No longer will there anything be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. This is what I mentioned before, a theme through the book of Revelation is the exaltation of the Lamb who was slain. He is victorious. He is our focus of worship in the present and in the future. So if we know that Jesus alone is the Alpha and the Omega of all eternity, and one day He will seal the eternal destinies of all people, should that not drastically change how we live in the present? The last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were to go and make disciples of all nations. And I want to I'm going to wrap it up with this quote um, from Matt Smetters says this: God did not give us the Book of Revelation so we'd build bomb shelters in the backyard. He gave us this book so we'd build bigger dinner tables and invite our friends over and tell them about Jesus. So in conclusion, as you go through this next week and as we contemplate all the ways that Jesus is our Alpha and Omega, my prayer for us today is that our hearts would be turned to worship 
and our, we would be emboldened in our witness. He is coming. He is coming. Let me close with the very last words from the book of Revelation. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are ascribed in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and we'll dismiss with a word of prayer. God, we want to stand. We do stand in awe of you this morning. And God, there's so many truths in Scripture that our minds just cannot wrap around. And as we even just scratch this surface of who you are as the Alpha and the Omega in our lives, the Alpha and Omega of our, your revelation, your, your salvation to us, that you are the beginning and the end and you hold us securely in that. God, I pray that that would drive us into a deeper worship of you. And I pray that just knowing and the appreciation, the gratitude that flows out of our lives because of what you've done and how you've saved us, that we would invite others to that dinner table in our homes and to that greater marriage supper of the Lamb, that we would invite those around us to come. Make us bold witnesses of your grace and of your goodness in our lives. Dismiss us. With your blessing, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.